And we're live on Weirdos Only Podcast. Uh, we got Danny Lamas joining us today. Thanks for joining us, Danny. Uh, thank you for uh, letting me jump on and, and contribute to your your project. Yeah, man. I think uh, I know you. I know you reached out given the fact that, like, I, I'm sure the the mental health thing kind of grabbed your eye and. It's something that I, I know, I mean, I go to therapy and it's something that we've been talking about, um, I've been talking about with my, with my therapist and he is actually going to be, he's going to be one of my guests. He hasn't came on quite yet, but um, just right. like, just like talking to, to, and I don't like, to, you know, like in the fraternities, like just normalizing, you know, and removing some of the stigma of the mental health because, because I know that um, it, it, you end up in, in difficult places because you don't deal with the shit that you, you know, you're, you're you need to deal with or or you don't have that community of people that are you know giving you that outlet for that you know so for sure yeah for so sure. I, I guess on that note kind of you know tell me a little bit more about kind of um you know kind of your, your story where you're from um and then also kind of like as as you had mentioned your your journey through kind of uh, mental health and and dealing with them um, i guess uh, with addiction as you mentioned uh so i guess i'm a pretty uh, typical Mexican American Angelino. I uh, grew up, uh, was born and raised in LA, born in East LA specifically. Okay. Um, both of my parents uh, came to the US in the late 70s and uh, they brought with them their uh, Mexican Catholic background that yeah. I was uh, uh, thrown into without my consent <laughs> as a young kid. I was actually just talking about that, that with somebody about the about just the Catholic guilt, you know, because you feel like you're always you're just so innately bad. Oh, that's a anything, big part of it, too. you know? Yeah. 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 That's a that's definitely and that's actually why I bring that up right off the bat, because that that was a big part of uh, my initial uh, issues with admitting any mental health uh, irregularities, uh, specific to me, uh, how religion ended up influencing my uh, coming out story eventually in my uh, early 20s. So uh, being Catholic, Mexican, uh, definitely had a big impact on my upbringing. And despite the fact that I was born in the States, um, where we're a little bit more liberal on this side uh, of the yeah. border. Uh, but not in the I, home. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're not too liberal if you're still living in a Mexican household. But uh, it definitely uh, was an interesting juxtaposition to grow up uh going to school here seeing uh how other families were raised or, or raising their children and then going back to my house and and being raised like i said by two mexican uh parents with all of their uh culture and and some machismo i was very fortunate to not have a super uh machista dad but yeah. the elements were still there yeah um, i think i think i was kind of in, in kind of in the same boat like my dad wasn't like this any like you know like he wasn't 
hitting my mom or anything like you know right. extreme but i those things are like oh i need my fucking you know you need to cook for me and stuff like that that's definitely something that i i experienced growing up and i think that's one part of the reason that i also i like I cook for myself. I like to cook and I like to you know, do things like that because I was like, Oh, well, I don't want to be, you know, super dependent or I don't want to look for a wife just for that. You know what right. I mean? Someone just right. going to cook for me. You know? Trying to dismantle those, uh, those gender roles. I remember growing up, uh, whenever we would eat and my dad wanted some more tortillas, he'd tell my sister, go get me some more tortillas. I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Right. And when you're that. the guy, right. You're just, it, it takes some, you have to be cognizant of it, right? Because, because I mean, you're kind of like, well, fuck, I don't have to get them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, so, you know, growing up, I, I, I definitely experienced a little bit of that. Um, but I was, I was very lucky. Uh, I guess I should backtrack a little bit because I was raised by Mexican uh, Catholic parents specifically. They sent me to uh, private Catholic school. So I went to Catholic school for 12 years, first grade through 12th grade. So I, I definitely got that um, embedded, that Catholic guilt that you mentioned earlier, yeah. really, really embedded in my brain. And it wasn't until I was able to go to uh, Cal State Northridge, uh, a public university that I was able to kind of expose myself to a broader range of backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, religion, socioeconomic status. Uh, and that's when I started to dismantle uh, those um, ideologies that were put, put in, my, in my head as a child. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't also until I, I got to college that I was able to begin to realize that maybe some of the things that I experienced as a kid uh, weren't normal or weren't, weren't the most positive. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> when you're in it, you're not thing. thinking of it, you know, yeah. Uh, one of those for sure uh, that I didn't realize how dental, detrimental it was, uh, was having experienced my dad cheat on my mom twice. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, growing up in, in a Latino household, that's, I, I, I want to say that that probably happens a lot more often than it doesn't. So for a while, I just thought that, well, that everybody just goes through that. You know, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I, I was special in any way. Yeah. Well, and and then again, I also don't think it, I also don't think it makes you special either, you know, in that in the sense of like going through some something like that. Um, but I mean, it's it's definitely not not a good thing. I I, I personally didn't didn't go through something like that, you know. But I, there was the other stuff that, like like I said, you you think is normal, or you know what I mean, like and it's in, and and at the time, you know, it's not really, you know, like as a kid, you don't have the perspective, right? Like you don't have the, you don't know to say, oh, this is good or this is bad. You know what I mean? But it definitely affects you. I mean, they have, they, there's research that, that kids are affected from the womb, you know? Oh, from like the if, if it's a very stressful time in your life and you're pregnant and, you know, maybe you're moving around and, you know, this is your first kid. That's why a lot of times, sometimes that first kid is, is a lot different than the second kid because then the second kid's a little bit more planned, more a little bit, you know, 
okay, we, we're, we're situated now. We got a house, you know, but the first kid was like, oh shit, we're having a baby. Like we got to figure this shit out and blah, blah, blah. And do I love you? Do you right. love me? What kind of deal? Whatever. So the, all that stuff is a factor in your development, you know? For sure. For sure. And, and I think also to, to throw the, uh, in, in that whole, uh, thing that you just mentioned my mom had me when she was 17 yeah and i thought for the longest that that was normal i i didn't realize that not everybody has a kid before they're you know, have you 20. heard have you heard the song um i think it's angeles azules yeah I, the, I, the 17 años the, oh my god dude yeah. like <laughs> There's so much of that music is like, like you're listening to it and it's like, hey, you're all like throwing down, you're dancing all sick. When you're like, wait, right, what, right. what, what is this for saying right now? Like, he's like, you, once you pay attention to it, yeah, you're like, whoa, what, like, is, what are you talking about? He's talking about like a 17 year old. It's like, wait a minute, damn. Oh, fuck, I'm gonna keep dancing. I'm gonna get see. That's the problem. They, they normalize that shit through fucking music, and you have a good time fucking dancing to fucking fucked up behavior. Exactly. <laughs> You're like just hey, fucking with a fucking Corona all sick. Like damn. Like yeah. You like I didn't like. <laughs> wait, this was really talking about like a 17 year old right now. You know what I mean? And it's right. I mean, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term, it's cracking. It's a good song, but then you're like, wait, the beat's sick. We're like, wait, the content's kind of weird, you know? Yeah, don't don't get me started on uh, La Sonora Dinamita, dude, because mm. they have their fair share of like double you know, entendres and, and yeah, like yeah, other yeah. songs. Where you're like, whoa, what are they talking With that about? That one here? song that's like el pi pi pi, el pi pi pi, el pito. It's like, yeah, <laughs> me exactly. toca el pito. Like, wait, what? Like, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's a car, because it's a car, right? Right. Like, well, see, yeah. that's, uh, I, I kind of, uh, as we're laughing about that, it reminds me of how in the Latino community, we just, we laugh a lot of shit off that we, we shouldn't, just to kind of like bring it back to the whole mental health thing. We end up uh, minimizing uh, a lot of things that uh, maybe people should take a little bit more seriously. And I don't know yeah. if that's just because, uh latinos we've been through so much and we've just had to, kind of had to learn how to get on and and yeah. not be bogged down by the you know the fucked upness of life yeah for lack and, of a better way of describing it. I, I think so i'll you know to to kind of piggyback on that um i'd say i'd say i agree with you but i, I and you know but another thing is like there's some people that need that entry point you know that sure. they can't sit here and 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 be like okay like let's dig in right you know and sometimes you need that like ah yeah it is pretty fucking crazy huh that like that shit exists and you're like yeah you're like because then somebody else would be like like you're laughing about it but then they're like yeah well who cares and you're like right. no wait we're laughing about two different things here <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah. like <laughs> you're like well yeah i want a young girl this and that like that's an underage girl dude that we're now that now we're now we're talking about something different as opposed to like right. hey that's pretty fucked up i was like yeah that is fucked up like what the hell you know yeah. but like somebody else could just be like oh that's you know like who cares so it's like sometimes you do need that like i, I literally was just telling my friend about how like my therapist one time i was telling him about like a girl like that she did something you know something pretty rude and he started laughing and at first i was kind of like oh the dick he's laughing but then it was a kind of also like yeah. this this kind of rapport, right? That kind of brings you in where he's like, he laughs, but right. then he's like, yeah, man, that's fucked up. Like, that's not good. Like, you know what I mean? But then it made me feel more like, um, 
more with the culture too that he understood my culture too because he's latino he's my the first latino therapist i had and i was like oh this guy i feel more comfortable with him because he kind of gets it but he also like he knows everything else too and he knows the culture too to be like like oh the roasting and all that shit that sometimes it does sometimes you do need it hey bro like lay off like chill out like you can't just be right. fucking roasting me all the time you know what i mean it's okay to fucking every now and then you know say nice things and shit like that is you know right. what i mean it's like right. i always hate like the whole like oh mexican time or fucking with us gamma time why is it a why is it a good thing for us to be late like and i i fucking i was late here but like you know it's like at least at least Speaking i of. at least i acknowledged it like i wasn't like ah you know how it is it was more like hey man i'm sorry you know for what i mean sure. it's sure. different when you're like hey i'm sorry man instead of just being like ah you know how it is like i was gonna be late anyway it's like more like hey you know, I'm kind of going through things or going through this thing, episode and I'm ending, whatever. I'm explaining right. it and I, and I, it's like having, having respect for your time as opposed to just being like, ah, I was going to be late either way. Like, come on, that, that doesn't like, really? Like, you're just late. Like you're already planning on being late, you know? So yeah, right. I, I think yeah, you're right on like, serious. do it, be serious about these subjects. But also like I, I, like I saying, some people need to need, there's different steps. You know, some people are just at that, like, Kind of like oh let's let's at least bring it up in a joking manner you know what i mean and then like then we can get to like a conversation which, about which it. is better than than nothing quite frankly it's yeah, better yeah. than nothing yeah and i think it also helps uh to to your point it does help d disarm people to a certain extent where they get more comfortable and like you said it's an entry point to eventually yeah. be able to bring these things up later on or uh conversationally or in a more serious uh, tone, um, uh, and, and I honestly, I, I'm not, I'm not at all shitting on, on the fact that we laugh about those things because yeah. I would be a, a hypocrite if I didn't say that I have benefited in my own life laughing at my own quote unquote traumas or tragedies. Uh, you really kind of have to laugh those things off at some point and and be bring some levity into something that is already so inherently serious and difficult yeah. when you're going through it uh, and being able to to look back and, and oftentimes it's that retrospect that that allows you to uh have a, a sense of humor over things that we've gone uh which is why you know i brought up those songs growing up you know latina going to birthday parties and quinceañeras and, and people yeah. are, are, you know, laughing about, you know, these songs or whatnot. Um, and then you're also, you also know that Theo, you know, you know, Juan is cheating on, you know, Tia Maria and, you know, the mistress is right there or, or whatever. And, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's life. That's life. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that that's, that's life, but it's, it's, it's like, it's not, like you said, it's, it's not, it's not healthy either. It's not a good, a good functioning kind of way right because it's like it but it becomes the norm like you said like you know yeah it becomes the yeah. norm and then the, the 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 problem is is that like you said then you go out into the fucking world you know and between in your community a lot of these things weren't allowed or weren't weren't a thing uh speaking up or the the role models for you know for a sense were like you said like tio juan who's cheating on tia maria and shit like that and you're just like well i guess you know they're married i guess getting married doesn't make a fucking difference it doesn't matter you know what i mean 
So like then right. you go out and then right. you're serious with somebody and you're like, well, we're not even married. So why would I be loyal to you? And my aunt and uncle who are fucking married and my dad, is, they're not loyal. So why would I be loyal to you? Because that's the role models that you have, you know? And then somebody's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, that's kind of fucked up. But to you, it doesn't, it doesn't register that way or when you know, not necessarily you, but I'm saying like when you're in that environment, like your role models are that, like, like seeing like, like your mom, you know, like who she was or your dad, who he was, you know, when you're in a relationship that shows up, you know, and oh, it doesn't 100%. show up directly like, Oh, my dad did this and that. That's exactly what I'm going to do. But no, but that's the dynamic they saw within their relationship or whatever. That's kind of sometimes the, if we don't go in deep and fucking try to analyze what we saw and what, you know, what we want to be and, and what, like, you know, what we experienced in order to be like, okay, I'm going to see that. And, and instead of just being like, well, I don't want it to be this. So I'm going to be that, like, like I said, the machismo, I, I get it. Like, you know, some of it wasn't healthy, but I also like, I know that my dad wasn't like a dick. Like he wasn't like, you know what I mean? He was, like I said, he wasn't beating my mom or anything like that, but he would just be like, oh, what happened or whatever? Like, you don't want to eat. And she was like, well, you could have just cooked for yourself. And he was like, oh no, I'm waiting for you to cook for me. And so it wasn't like, you know, but it's also like, okay, I could, I could be a complete extreme. Like I'm never going to let a woman cook for me, which is too extreme, you know, because you know, but it's like, but no, I'm like, okay, I'm at least going to learn to cook for myself. And if I find somebody and they want to cook for me, fine. But it, I'm not going to look for somebody that's that just for that. You know, there's right. other shit that I value more, like somebody who, who respects me, you know, somebody who shows me respect that, you know, that's more important to me than like, oh, well, she doesn't know how to iron. Fuck it. You can learn how to iron. But if you go to dinner and she's rude to the fucking waiter, then that, you know, like, oh, she's a great cook. Fuck that. Like, she's rude to the waiter. Like, that's that says more about her than the fact that she can't, you know, she can cook good. You know what I mean? Like, fuck that. I yeah, want to be with somebody like that, you know? I agree. I, I think that um, it, it doesn't always have to be uh, the extreme example. Like we were saying, you know, like your your dad beats up on your mom physically. Uh, and in my case, like I, like I said uh, earlier, it's not like my dad, you know, there wasn't domestic violence yeah. uh, per se, but sometimes, uh, I, and I've, I've mentioned this to, to uh, friends that I've talked about this before, sometimes uh, emotional violence could be just as or even more hurtful than physical violence that yeah. you can inflict on anybody. Yeah, oh yeah. The damage that you do, it's like the slow mentally. just like the slow drip right the fucking grand canyon start with a fucking just a slow yeah. drip of fucking water is just the, that con consistency right of like just trying to like uh right like right. tearing you down you know right i mean my dad uh sticking with that my dad never ever put his hands on me ever yeah i can't remember i can only honestly recall one time when my dad hit me when I was seven years old, and it's because I didn't want to take uh, some like cold medicine, and I was running around the house like crazy, and I fucking deserved it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I like tested his patience, and I and I didn't want to take medicine that was gonna help me, you know, get better. So and I'm sure it was like a like a like, smack over like a beating. It was more like a, yeah, all right, fucking chill, right, like, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But that was the only time throughout my whole life that I can recall my dad having put out his hands on me. And, and to give a little context to his behavior, my dad 
uh, grew up in the complete opposite. My grandfather was a hardcore, hardcore alcoholic due to the fact that uh, when he was in his uh, early 20s, they lost my dad's older brother, who would have been my older, my dad's older brother, uh, uncle, but he passed away when he was two years old yeah. uh, in my grandfather's arms on the way to the hospital. So that caused my grandfather to become an alcoholic and, and beat my grandma and eventually beat my dad. So I think that because my dad had such a, a, a fucked up childhood, he must have told himself, when I have kids, like you said, you know, like the, the, uh, the, the uh, extremes that we sometimes go to, like, uh, I, I don't want to uh, meet someone and, and, and a partner that I'm going to force to cook for me, you know, yeah. like the example that you brought up with your own household. I think my dad told himself, there's no way that I'm ever going to put a hand on my, on my kids. And that's cool. That's awesome. I, I could say that he never hit me, but dude, he, you got to deal with, you got to deal with it too. Instead of just like saying like, Oh, I'm not just going to do that one thing, <laughs> you know, like, and then right, everything's going right. to be good. That alone isn't going to make you a good dad. That alone yeah. isn't going to determine how good of a father or how good of a uh, uh, role model you end up becoming. Because unfortunately he also took uh, uh his fatherhood to the other extreme and he was very indifferent he he wasn't very present he worked a lot but he used working a lot as an excuse when he was home to not be very present in my childhood so that's what i mean by sometimes the emotional um uh pain or uh, i call it emotional violence because if if you grow up in a family where you're not told to talk openly about your feelings and when you feel anxious or sad or, or all of these things, you bottle them up and then they end up biting you in the ass once you become an adult. And that's, that, that is a drip, drip, drip that eventually comes back to haunt both parties involved, both, you know, my dad and, and me personally. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky. It's a, it's a, a tricky thing to try to reconcile. Um, Cause it's so funny. My mom was a, the complete opposite. She definitely was the chancla in the air, like throwing it at you across the room and like yeah. perfect bullseye aim. She was very physical with me and my sister uh, growing up. Uh, but I have a much closer it's like I hold no resentment with my mom that she, yeah. you know, hit me physically. It's like, no, again, that's another thing. Like growing up Latino, you're like, that's just how, you know, you raise kids, right? You hit them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I guess it's, it's from another, that you realize, oh. yeah, it's from another place or something, you know, like you, you kind of like, it, it wasn't, yeah. It's, I mean, maybe it's, it's more the, the, the attention you were seeking too from, from your father, you know what I mean? To say like that wasn't there and the the like like you said yeah the the emotional distress that, that you cause on kids or or from whether it's a uh, ignoring what they're feeling you know what i mean or just being emotionally unavailable because um in a relationship or you know whether it's in a relationship with a person or, or your father withholding affection is also a toxic trait it's not a healthy trait to withhold affection you know what i mean like especially if 
which I'm sure, which I'm sure it's like your dad didn't like, you know, be like, oh, it's because I don't like this, you know, I don't love my kids or whatever. It's more like, I don't know how to process that fucking emotion, but I do want to give it out. But, ah, but then they're all, you know, I'm a pussy now because I, you know, I kiss my kids. Like, oh, my dad never kissed me. You should be fine. You'd be fine. Why do I need to hug you? Instead of like, oh, I don't hit you. I don't hit you. What do you, it's like, well, that's more what's going on in your head because you're like, that was, I used to get my ass beat. It's like, yeah, but like you're doing something else. You're doing, you know, it's like you said, it's emotional damage that can, you know, fucking, I would have preferred you hit me. Just leave me a scar. I'd be like, fuck, I got that scar. Instead of like, now I'm carrying all this fucking weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, And the, the unfortunate thing is that as a kid, you couldn't really pinpoint what that lack was. Uh, one, because it didn't seem like there should be any anything to complain about because my dad was a very hard worker. That's one thing that I have to give him credit for. So we always had a roof over our head. We always had food. He always, you know, I grew up in, in, in a working class yeah. uh, uh, environment. But but we were very fortunate to to have the the necessary thing. So I never experienced any needs per se. Uh, uh, but I think my dad also felt like, well, I'm a provider and and I'm a good provider. So that's that should be enough. And I don't hit my yeah. kids. So I'm already winning because my grandfather wasn't like that. So. Uh, it wasn't until I got older and I went to therapy and I worked throughout all of these emotions that I was able to be more compassionate with my dad and uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I was the firstborn son and and no one gives you a handbook, you know, when you're, when you're having your first kid and tells you, this is how to raise your first child after you've been through a traumatic childhood experience and you yeah. never dealt with your shit, you know? That's what happened with both of my parents. Yeah, just fucking download all your fucking insecurities right there. Like, just right, the, you know, right. Yeah, right into exactly. that kid. Exactly. So, the pristine little hard drive so, that they so, got, they don't, you know? I'm just like, oh, let me put it all in there. And you, and you know, uh, uh, I, I have to also uh, pause and, and not make it sound, you know, completely uh, unfair to them because despite them not having dealt with their psychological issues, they were still able to, to show up and, and you know send me and my sister to school and sacrifice and like I said, provide for us and, and do a, 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 a rather decent job despite the shortcomings that they had. So in, from that angle, I, I, I'm very grateful, but it's also important to acknowledge that growing up um, in the Latino community with that Catholic guilt, you're not really allowed to openly deal with these issues. I mean, like people in, in, your, in families, they don't even talk about it amongst themselves. You know, yeah. there's so much shame and, and guilt with these things. Like I, I, I know for sure that my mom, because uh, my dad cheated on my mom the first time when I was in fourth grade. And I don't think they knew that I knew, but I was the type of kid that whenever they had arguments, I would like 
stand outside of the door and like totally be nosy it's like what's yeah. going on and, you... uh i don't think my, my mom ever uh expressed the shit she was going through with my her sisters with my aunts yeah. or even my grandma and my mom it's something that she kept very deep inside let me ask you this though did she ever express any of that to you ah well see that's the the other issue i would say let's talk about role models right like you mentioned earlier yeah because my dad was to this day still a truck driver um yeah. and all I, I can recall my dad is always being a truck driver so he'd be home you know thursday through sunday and then monday through thursday he'd be gone so growing up i had to really step up uh as a young kid and be an emotional support to my mom and my mom ended up and and to this day both my mom and dad uh feel bad that they did this but they did end up putting me in the middle and yeah i was uh, a person that my mom would come and express her feelings to so you were as a kid. i got older and older you weren't a person yeah, you were a, dude, kid. I was a kid that's the thing that, that that's a that's a, a kid, differentiation was... that we need to make you know because like you like yeah. right now like right now as an adult like do you have any kids no i don't okay no. so but, but wouldn't it be weird brother. but wouldn't it be weird if you were telling your shit to a kid like like you don't have kids so they'd be like yes. i talked to this fucking 10 year old i tell him all my shit like why you know, when it's right. your kid, it's it's okay. But, but if you just talk to some random ten-year-old, like like say you played video games, like oh, this ten-year-old's my friend. I tell him all my shit. You're like, wait, why would you tell a ten-year-old? Sure. You know, like so. Right. I mean, it's so funny when you when you say it out loud like that, right? Yeah, that's but what I'm saying. I'm gonna give myself a little bit of credit and, and be like, well, I must have been a mature ass fucking ten-year-old to well, be able to listen to this shit. But you do, you have, then, like, you kind of have to, to though. You. It ends up, it ends up putting you in that place and it ends up maturing you quicker as well. Because, yeah. but, but what it also does is that then it suppresses your feelings because you're like, well, you're not allowed to feel whatever you're feeling because mom's going through way more shit than you. And I don't really care that your toy is broken. And then you have to be like, right. yeah, you know what? It doesn't matter that my toy is broken. Like you just said, I got food. I got this. I got that. I shouldn't be complaining. My mom's shit is way more important and my dad's shit's way more important. Instead of like, no, dude, it's a, your toy is important because that's what matters to you and your feelings and what's going on with you. You shouldn't have to put your toy aside because mom's tripping. You know what I mean? Mom should have been the For one sure. to put her shit aside sure. to help you. You know, and, and and that's where it's like, the, like I said, the, the parenting, you end up putting the kids in the middle because maybe you don't have uh like a, a therapist or like you said go talk to your sisters and your your aunts that you know your mom's sisters they're like hey you, you should have a community of people or that can help you cope through shit so you don't put it on the kids i remember like i mean as a kid like even just like like simple fights right and your mom's like don't be like your fucking dad he's such a piece of shit or whatever right <laughs> and you're just like what like i like him like you know right, exactly <laughs> it's such a mind fuck at that yeah. age like he's kind of he's cool to me he gave me 20 bucks before he left like you know. well to, to that point uh it, it was really difficult for me to to reconcile the fact that i knew that my dad had cheated on my mom that my mom was devastated by it but my dad was still like 
he was relatively nice. And like, if I wanted, you know, some shoes at the beginning of the, you know, the school year, he was always like, and that's the thing though. Now I realized that my dad was the type of dad where he would buy his things instead of being emotionally present for us. And I think he felt like he made up for his shortcomings that way. Again, being that provider or, or yeah. kind of sometimes spoiling us. Uh, well, that, in, that in goes that to like the, things. have you heard of like the love languages? Yeah, 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 for sure. So I feel like that could be a thing to where like, you know, it's like the gifts, like to him, he's showing you appreciation by giving you a gift. And like, that's how he shows it. But who knows how he accepts it. So right. there's a difference of like, you know, how you accept it and how you show it. Like, and it seems like to me, what you wanted was quality time. You just wanted time. You, want, you know what and I mean? I've actually done, I, I, I figured out what my love language is. And no wonder my dad wasn't really hitting the mark because I don't really respond to gifts and material yeah. things. You yeah, know? yeah. I respond to quality time. But that That's also may be, that, I, that also I, may have been from that. It, might, it may have been molded yeah. to that. You know what I mean? So that could be something too, you know? Yeah, and, true. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. And, and I think, um, I don't want to, you know, I think that when, when you hear something like love languages, people think like love, like relationship love. And this is, you know, love languages are more like, I think it's just more the communicative and with your friends and how you, how you respond to things and how you, how you, how you kind of, uh, what, what are the things that are on like your list of priorities? And like I said, that that's, that's one thing that at least for me, quality time is a big deal. It doesn't, and it doesn't mean that you need to be with me every day and all the time, but at least when we're together or whatever, or you value my time and you give me your time. You know what I mean? Like I have nephews, I don't have kids myself. But, you know, I'll, I'll buy them toys here and there or an ice cream. But I know that the biggest thing is, like, just spending time with them and hanging out and playing. Like, I, you hand them a fucking toy, they're going to be like, oh, cool. But they'll, like, they'll play it, but they, they'll be like, you want to watch me play it? Like, they're, they don't want, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, don't, right. they don't just want to have the toy. You know what I mean? My nephew wants to play, like, video games. They want to watch me? And I'm like, now he's a little bit older. I'm like, no, like, you just... <laughs> just playing you know what i mean like if you want to go play outside i'll play with you but i'm just right. sometimes i'll just hang out with him and you know I'll, he's telling me stuff he's just so into the game but he's like dude i don't want to just sit here watching you like you know so right. that was another thing we talked about like the facetime i called them like on christmas because i i got corona so i was like i was locked up you know and oh. he, like he just like put it down like the phone i was on facetime to them the technology and everything was like nothing and he's just like and i'm like yo like I'm here and it's a whole different thing, right? So like right now we're here, we're talking and we're looking at each other. But like if it was them, they'll be like, you know, they're over here. They're like, no, I, I can hear you. And it's just, and to you like, yo, like we're on video, you know that, right? And it's a whole different thing to them, you know? Oh my God, dude. I mean, uh, I feel so grateful that I was born in the eighties that I still experienced the world in the, the analog version of the world before we went digital. Because, I mean, like I said, I have a 14-year-old little brother, so I definitely understand what you're talking about. Like, that, their attention span is not all there. So it it is, um, talk about not knowing how to communicate, right? And and how to appreciate being present uh, with others. So I can only imagine that these kids... I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like an old fuck, like shitting on technology, but 
I, I wonder what the uh, consequences will be once those kids get older. Once my 14 year old little brother gets older and he has to learn how to be in a relationship with coworkers, with a significant other, with yeah. all these other people and learn how to be more present, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the there's definitely a lot of resources out there, you know, as far as the internet goes and the, the pluses that it has, you know, because like people say it makes you dumber, but I feel like I, I think it's the opposite because if you ask me something, I can look it up and I can know the answer right away. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and you can learn something, but I think the social aspect and I mean, it can't be easy right now. Like, you know, I know before we jumped on, I was like, hey, like, obviously, something we could cover on is is just COVID and, and, and this whole pandemic, right? Like, people like me and you are figuring it out, right? Because it's something we've never been through. But imagine being a kid, you know, being a kid and being afraid that that your mom's going to get you sick or your mom's going to go to work and she's going to get sick and maybe she could die because this is what you're seeing, all these people dying on the on TV and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's a difficult place to be in to try to to try to handle those things as a kid. You know, it's, it's tough as an adult right now. So I could just only imagine as a kid and then there's so much misinformation and just imagine you're going back to your kids. And you're 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 freaked out. So then what do you do? You freak your fucking kids out. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like, right. yeah, like, I ah. My little brother started his his high high school uh, career uh, in the middle of the pandemic. He, he started yeah. his freshman year and he's not once been on campus. It's all been through Zoom. He went from eighth grade to ninth grade directly yeah. through zoom so it's gonna be a trip for sure I, I make it a point when i go back home to visit they live here in la uh to just ch check in on him i'll text him you know throughout the week just to make sure how how he's doing uh mentally because i've heard that the pandemic has also been affecting a lot of kids with depression anxiety not knowing how to deal with uh parents getting sick siblings getting sick and then them being stuck and quarantined at home all day long every single week for the past nine ten months so uh it's i'm really grateful let me put it to you this way i'm really grateful just to bring it back to the whole parents thing yeah that my parents because of what they had to experience with my mental health issues uh, and, and I think it, it taught them to be more, uh, aware of mental health now so that they can be a better resource for my little brother and they can pay attention more to red flags, uh, as he experiences this, uh, once in a, in a lifetime situation. Yeah. Uh, I feel that hopefully they'll be able to make it through this difficult period in a much better way than if this had happened when I was little, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, because then now, like you said, like there was so much other shit going on and other shit they were figuring out when you were little. And now it's kind of like, it's a, there there's, they've already kind of gone down that road, right. To, to, to know some of the things that, I mean, it could be also incorrect of the things they think they did wrong. You know right. what I mean? But at least they're coming from a place of of some kind of experience. You know what I mean? To say, okay, let's let's try to do this and that. And I know, I mean, I'm 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 the last, you know, I'm I'm the youngest, 
you know, I only have one older brother, but like, I don't have that, like, you know, that concept of like, oh, like now, like, oh, you let my brother do this, but you, you know, now you're letting the younger brother do it and you never let me do that to where it's more like, okay, now you, you learn, right. Or maybe there's the more leniency to, or maybe at the time they had to be more strict because they were scared of certain things. You know what I mean? So we're like, now it's like, you can't fucking go out, you know, like, and why can't I go out? It's like, well, you're going to get sick. You know what I mean? Like, right. So it's different levels. It's just, uh, you got, you got to adapt to the times, I guess, you know, for sure. For sure. And, and my little brother, because he's uh, so much younger than me and my sister. So I'm uh, 37. My sister is 34 and he's fucking 14. Yeah. So he's growing up. He's got like, like four parents. Really. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Growing up like as if he had four parents. Um, and it's so funny because my mom uh, has had to tell me like, you know, you, you don't have to feel responsible for him. You and me and my, uh, uh, your dad are still here. We're still able to take care of him. Even though my parents are, my mom is 55 and my dad is 65 in That's February. fairly young. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess your mom, you young. said your mom had you when you were 17. She was 17. So. Yeah. And, and she was freaking the fuck out dude when she got pregnant at 40 and had my my little brother she thought that her tubes were tied and she ended up getting pregnant yeah so you know i kept telling my mom I'm like i sure would like to know who the fuck that doctor was because it'd be nice to <laughs> let him know great yeah. job <laughs> yeah yeah that's but, and, and, but it's still four like 40 man like that's three years from now for you yeah and do yeah, you dude, do you I feel can, like I, a fucking your, your parents are still around you're not a you're not a kid but you're also not super old right. you know so she was still fairly young right. you know i mean it's it's interesting yeah it's definitely i mean i don't have kids so i don't I, I don't have that perspective as far as like where where you should or shouldn't have them but i mean i think it's it's a, probably a good age to have you know if you're able to have kids and have and them be healthy it's you know you have enough life experience and you've gone you know 17 is definitely a difficult time to do it you know you're trying to figure your own shit out yeah for sure because i think my mom watching my mom raise my little brother despite the fact that she was freaking out because she thought she was too old uh i think that my mom is and my dad are both the best version of themselves that they ever have been and i feel grateful that my little brother angel doesn't have to go through the things that i was describing to you uh just yeah, a little yeah. bit ago you know all the 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 difficulties of being raised in a in a, a, a household where there were a lot of arguments uh my mom was often very depressed uh so uh just bringing it back to to the fact that I had to kind of uh, grow up very quickly and and sort of become my mom's pseudo psychologist and like sit there and listen to her like, okay, mom, okay. And then go to my dad and be like, well, you know, dad, mom feels this way. And then my dad would tell me how he feels. And then I go to my mom and be like, well, mom, you know, dad feels this way. So <laughs> I was always trying to fucking moderate. I feel so yeah. grateful that, uh, I 
went through that and that my little brother doesn't have to experience that sort of hardship because uh, it, it did end up uh, really doing a number on my own mental health by the time that I was in my in my 20s. And uh, just to kind of expand on on my whole story. So so I gave you the the, the background where, yeah, I, you know, I had to uh, be a, a grown up to my be a parent to my parents, right? Yeah. So by the time I was in college and I was allowing myself to explore self-identity a little uh, further, because I grew up in a, in a Catholic uh, school environment, I never, ever, ever allowed myself to even fathom the idea that I could be gay. Like instead, I, I always joined in, uh, in, in you know, playground antics and I made fun of other kids and I always, always, always deflected. I was very, very lucky that no one ever like pointed things out um, or, or pointed me at, out, I should say. And I didn't really have to deal with bullying in that regard. Uh, but by the time I was in college, was it so you're saying already, something that was wasn't uh, even in your brain or wasn't even or oh no, it was definitely there, but that's the power of denial, dude. That's the power of growing up firstborn, Catholic, Mexican, like back in the day, things have changed, but back in the day, there was no you being gay, you know, growing up in that in that context. So I really just didn't even allow myself to explore I think that it also be in the, my mind. the suppression and the codependency on the fam on 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 the family that it was like, yeah, maybe, but you're sh you're you're shit second. Like I, I have to worry about my mom right now. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like totally, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like you said earlier, I, I didn't get a chance to uh, turn that self-awareness or that maturity that I had to, to learn very quickly with my parents, I was never given the um, luxury of turning that inward. So yeah. I, I, because I was constantly dealing with my parents' issues, I didn't even have the time to think about me and, and how I really felt. And I definitely uh, told myself that I liked girls in, in you know, elementary elementary school and junior high, even in high school, I kept telling myself that I was crushing on, you know, certain girls or, or whatnot, but I was so good at, at, at not only lying to everybody, but first and foremost, lying to myself. So it wasn't until I got to college that I even allowed myself to explore the possibility because it, it, it so, once I was out of the house and no longer having to deal with my parents on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, then all of a sudden I did find that alone time where I was like, oh shit, I kind of have to deal with this now. I can't keep putting it off. Now I have to deal with, with my own identity separate from yeah. my parents front and center. And so finally, I, I would end up kind of uh, addressing that uh, 
it wasn't until I'd say my senior year in college. So by this time I was already three years deep into the fraternity. And uh, it, it goes without saying that when you're in a fraternity, the, the I feel like I already know to, where this is going. The is chances it? to hook up happen very easily if, if you're looking for it. Uh, it. It's not something that you have to try very hard. And I thought it was really, really weird by my senior year that I had never uh, taken advantage of that opportunity to explore your sexuality. Uh, I thought you were going to go a different direction. I thought you were going to say like the masculinity and the, and you know what I mean? Within the fraternity of like, you know, like it's, it's a, I don't think it'd be the easiest place for somebody to be like, Hey, by the way, guys, you know, oh, trust me. It definitely wasn't. It definitely was not. If anything, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's sad to say this, but I think things are also changing in that regard. When I joined the fraternity, uh, I honestly joined it as a last chance to prove to myself internally without telling anybody that yeah. I was uh, heterosexual. I'm like, I'm gonna go through this. Be one of the guys. Experience. And that's the funny thing, like when I finally did end up coming out and, and mentioning it to some of the my fraternity brothers, uh, a lot of them were like, oh, so is that why you joined a fraternity? Because you were attracted to, to guys? I'm like, no, it was actually the opposite. I joined because I was trying to prove to myself that I was one of the guys, that I wasn't what I knew deep inside I was. So it wasn't until my senior year um and i actually i didn't get the chance to uh properly uh, come out to the fraternity i was actually outed by one of my okay. uh, brothers I, I i was uh telling one uh close pledge brother uh, in my room at, a, at an apartment where we all lived and one of my other brothers, I guess, was in the hallway or overheard. I don't know, but he ended up spreading it to everybody. And at the time I was I was president of of my chapter. And I remember that it was um, the shit hit the fan, so to speak. And there was a lot of pushback. There were some that were supportive, but. I would say that uh, there was definitely, uh, from my understanding, I was the first gay president that our chapter had. So that was just not something that back in, I wanna say, I think it was 07, 2007, was still uh, widely acceptable. So I definitely did experience that, um, that machismo uh, from that angle, and I would actually end up uh, 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 dropping out of school with seven classes to go to graduate. And uh, my this was like a domino effect time, after this, is you're saying? Like, oh, oh, dude. This, so this, this, I, and I'm I'm bringing this up because this is the beginning of my downward spiral that yeah. would end up years later uh leading me to go to rehab so yeah. um 
I remember that year, 2007, and uh, like I said, I was my senior year, seven classes to go, president of the fraternity. This happens. I stepped down because I didn't want my personal life to become fair game for everybody to all of a sudden want to talk about or or it was it was too much. So yeah, well, definitely too much. Right? Like that's not part of your position. Of, you know, it's that has nothing to do yeah. with first gay president or whatever, but what difference does it make? Like, you know what I mean? It's always the first fat president yeah. or whatever. Like, what's this, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. But truth be told, I wasn't looking to be the first, you know, of anything. Well, yeah. It's not like I set out to break a barrier, you know? Fuck no, that, that, that was not my intention. So it was too much for me to handle at that time. I stepped down, I dropped out of school and I told myself, I'm going to give myself a, a semester break and I'll come back and I'll finish strong. I'll graduate and, and I'll be able to move on. So I moved back home uh, momentarily while that was going down. And at that time, my parents, I hadn't told my parents yet. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I this is, this is who, who I am. I, I definitely, I wasn't like tiptoeing around it. Yeah. Once I came out to myself, I was like, I was telling everybody there wasn't anything holding me back. And I think my naivete. <laughs> I'm just imagining about, you walking down the street like, hey, mister, <laughs> guess what? Like, you know, oh, but it's, it's good. Once you're, you're like, you're like, fuck, like the weight is off, right? You're like. Yes, but it was also naive of me to think that I could just freely, you know, tell everybody. And, and that everyone's going just going to be like, hey, great, you know, which right. sucks. It sucks, right. but so yeah. It, it does suck. And, and, and it sucked even more when I finally got the balls to tell my mom because my dad wasn't home. He was on a, on a business trip. Uh, so I remember telling my mom, my sister was away at a friend's house or something. Uh, my little brother hadn't, actually, no, I take it back. My little brother was months old. Oh, He was born in 2006. So uh, when I told my mom, it was, I'll never forget, it was May of 2007. So he was a couple months old. And I remember it was over lunch. I, 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 I didn't wake up that day and decide, oh, today's the day that I'm going to tell my mom. Like, were I, you thinking about it, it that way? Were you thinking about it? Like, is it something I, I, that I, or? It was, it was definitely in the back of my, of my mind that it was something that I had to uh, uh, let her know. But like I said, it's not like I, I planned it that day to yeah. be that, that specific day. So we were sitting down for lunch, just me and her having a conversation about something else. And I don't know why. I don't know why I just felt like, you know what, I'm just going to do it right now. So I, I told my mom, I'm like, hey, mom, um, I have I, I've been wanting to tell you something. Um, I, I, I just want to let you know that I think I might be gay. And mind you, before this happened, because of the situation that I had growing up uh, with my mom and dad and how uh, me and my mom got really close. Yeah. I thought that I had the type of relationship that I could just tell my mom something like that and that it would be okay. No, she could only and tell you stuff. Again, my. 
Oh, you know, it would become very clear that that it was not something that went both ways. Yeah. So uh, I told her and her first reaction was just she just started to cry and it felt like it was for eternity. What did uh, I, what did I do? Was, it's like, this isn't about you. You know that. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. She all of a sudden made it all about her, how she must have done a horrible job as a mother and how it was my dad's fault because he wasn't around in my life enough. And she even told me, she's like, let's go. Let's go right now. I'll pay for you to, to, to fuck a whore and you'll turn into a man. She'll turn you into a man. You just haven't had uh sex enough <laughs> and i kept thinking in my mind i'm like well i, I really don't think that's it but <laughs> i don't know let's give it a shot so. anyway let's give it a shot <laughs> let's give it a shot <laughs> beers on you fuck it let's give it a dude, shot <laughs> dude it was it was not what i was expecting for yeah. sure I, I i definitely thought that, that things were gonna go a lot better so it's I hard, but up, it's hard to, um, you know, you say you would think you say you expected it to go a lot better, but it's also hard to say what you, you know, what, what's the right way or what was really going to happen. How's it going to, you know, so I think in, in, in any case, it says a lot that you were also able to get to the place where you're able to communicate that, you know what I mean? Cause even when someone is, right. is you know, hetero or whatever, it, those conversations, they they never have them with their parents, whether it be about, you know, somebody they're dating or their lives. They find it very difficult to communicate, you know, maybe even with their parents or just communicate at all. You know, so the fact that you at least had that mental maturity to say, I need to communicate this where you could you didn't have to tell your mom. You know what I mean? Where you were like, I want to get this off. Yeah. I want her. I want I want to be authentic. I want to be myself. And at least you had that that self-awareness, you know, as a as a kid still, which I, you know, I, I would definitely say, yeah, you're early twenties. You're a fucking kid. You know what I mean? You're still figuring shit out, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I, I definitely was, uh, again, very naive to think that, um, that it was going to be a lot easier than it ended up being because I, so I told my mom and she made me promise not to tell my dad she she was like super dramatic and and like made me get on my knees and like uh, uh promise that i was not going to tell my dad because in her words i was going to kill him if i told him so i promised her and then that same night she told me that it was probably best if i if i left the house so I don't tell him, but I leave the house up, and don't tell him why you're leaving or what. <laughs> well, dude, here's the, this is where it gets funny. This is this like, is I'll, I'll bring some levity to the conversation. So because she made me promise that I wasn't going to tell my dad, but she ended up kicking me out of the house. We still had to like have an explanation to my dad as yeah. to why I was getting kicked out of the house. So we agreed. And this it's it's the irony is at that point in my life, I wasn't smoking weed. I wasn't a drinker. I was a pretty straight arrow kid. Um, and, and so my, we agreed between me and my mom that I was gonna tell my dad that she caught me smoking weed and that that's why I was getting kicked out of the house. So I would tell my dad, like, oh, dad, I guess, you know, I have to leave because my mom caught me smoking.
smoking weed, which was a complete lie. She didn't catch me smoking weed. So that's what I had to end up telling my and dad. And he's like, who's your weed guy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if, what if it wasn't right, an issue exactly. for him? He's like, why are you kicking him out for that? Who gives a fuck? Right, like, you know, like, right. <laughs> exactly. No, and apparently, I think, I, I think the funny thing is, when I did tell my dad that, uh, he did uh, uh, tell me, or, or he was honest, that he had smoked weed when, when he was One younger. One time. Right, yeah, one was, time. Yeah, supposedly. <laughs> and I think that was like, that was my dad's way of kind of like low-key telling me like, really, that's that's the reason why you have to go? But This, this is also 70s also or 60s weed, would... man. It's, it's It wasn't any, it was shitty weed. Right. It, was, it was that Caro Quintero weed. It, yeah. it was that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think my dad did find that a little weird that that was that big of a deal to uh have me yeah. leave the house but he didn't go against my mom he's always been the guy when it came to parenting he followed my mom's lead so yeah. i i would end up leaving the house and and i had to get myself a job that summer to to survive because I, yeah. I had no financial help from them so i ended up getting a job that and that's that what I mean, coming. Sorry, I don't I mean, I don't mean like I, you see my body language. I just it just seems like so much in this time frame, so much change. You know what I mean? That that just happened because because of this one thing and the catalyst of or that one conversation that you were having in a room in, you know, between friends or whatever. And then that little fucking right. nugget got out and it just it just started a fucking hurricane of shit. You know what I mean? And, and, and what I was also like thinking when you were saying that, I'm thinking like, man, your codependency of like, like helping your mom of like being there for her was so strong that you were willing to lie and, and cover the story that she wanted you to do instead of being like, no, mom, fuck you. This is me. I'm going to, and it sounds fucked up, right? Cause like, oh, I told my mom, fuck you. But right. it's like, well, it, you have to put yourself first instead of like, you know what? All right, my mom doesn't want me to do this. I have to follow what she wants me to do instead of like, hey, like, this is who I am. You know, but you were yeah, still no. in that state of like, you know what? I'm going to please my mom. I need to do what she says. I need, you know what I mean? And it's like, a, it's it's not good because obviously it, it kept like breaking shit down for you and not making you feel any better about yourself and your worth. You know, you're like, oh, I'm fucked up because I, I'm this, you know. You're definitely right. And and I actually never realized that until you just said that. I didn't realize that I was still so codependent and so worried about my mom's well-being that I still put others before my own well-being because it was and your own identity. A, a weight on my shoulder. You know. Yeah, and and I did want to tell my dad. I I I, I was gonna tell my mom, and then I was gonna tell my dad. I, I never had the intention to have to hold that in. Uh, and and here's the thing: I I was only able to do that for a year. A year later, I would end up telling my dad. And the irony was, my dad was like, I'm not gonna say he was happy-go-lucky, but he gave me a hug and he said, "You're my son." That's all that matters in front of my mom, by the way. So uh, it was really fascinating that having grown up in, in a Mexican household, I always expected that my dad was going to be much more um, uh, not accepting of me. 
but it was the opposite. My mom was the one who really pushed me away. And, and my dad was the one who, who somewhat accepted me. And because I was so close to my mom, that really, really, really ended up fucking with my head really yeah. uh, detrimentally. So because I, it's, it's more like, I, Hey, like, like you said, like, like when you went to her, you're like, well, I've all, you know, we've always been like close, but it right. was like, and then, but then it's also like, kind of like in the back of your head is like, well, I've always been there for her. So we've always been close. We have a close relationship because we talk about our feelings. It's like, but you don't, you talk about her feelings and you're there 100%. for her and you converse and you, and yeah, it's, it's a closeness, but that's like, she's, it, it, it's a one-sided thing. And so with codependency, what happens is you start, it's not 50, 50, right? You start going into that 60, 70, 80, right. you know, and it's like, it's all about them now and you're putting in so much work. And when it comes to you, they only have 10% for you. And you're like, oh shit, like, wait, this is, who am I? You right. know? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I, I realized um, that I, I, I didn't have as, as much support from my mom as I thought I had earned because I was such a, a, a source of support for her. So it, it felt like someone took the rug right under my feet. And, and it was very um, discombobulating those first couple of years. Uh, that's exactly when my, my drug use began. That was the beginning of my anxiety. That was the beginning of my depression. But I didn't know to, to call it anxiety and depression back then because I was yeah. numbing myself. You're just going through shit. Specifically in, in you, you just, you just oh, categorize dude, it as it, going it, through it was, shit. It's just stress, you know? Right. And, and, and it's, it's such a, a, a an interesting, um, uh, way of coping because it was right around the time, uh, this was back in 07. So it was right around the time when there was like medical marijuana. You had to get a like, you, you had to a go card. to a doctor to get yeah, the yeah. card back in the day. A doctor. So I was able to do that. Just, just so you know, my my and my, I am in the cannabis industry actually. So I, I, I do work in the cannabis <laughs> industry. So I know the whole history and the whole, you know, and I'm like, some of these guys, I'm like, yo, the doctor. Yeah, you know, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Right. They're like FaceTime. Now they do like a FaceTime thing and they're like, okay, yeah, you're good. <laughs> like there's right. no. It's so much easier, dude. So much easier. So I, I did have to jump through hoops to uh, be able to get my card, but um, it was also right around the time that I had begun to work full time because I, I would not end up going back to school. It was- Well, you need I to support yourself too. It's difficult, you know, yeah, it, it was too much. I, I yeah. like I there was no way that I could do all of that at once. So I had to first stabilize my life financially, get a full time job. So I was getting paid uh, a, a decent amount and I was buying weed, you know, an eighth. Back then I started, you know, baby steps. I was buying an eighth and it would last me like you know, maybe three weeks, maybe a month. Yeah. And then little by little that started to like get more it like the eighth wasn't lasting that long because I was smoking it, you know, instead of just smoking at night, I would smoke a little bit in the morning. And, and it's easy for you know, somebody to just day. be like, oh, you're just kicking it. You know, you just, you just, you just relaxing. Right. Like what, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? Right. 
and and that was another reason why I wasn't really forced to deal with all of this shit that I was going through in my personal life because I was able to kind of just smoke it away and and to I numb, was never really numb, much numb afraid. the pain yeah you just numbing numbing the feelings totally totally and and it was it was accepted you know it's not as widely accepted as it is now but it was still like if you would tell people that you know you smoked back then like it was it was fine it wasn't that big of a deal so that also kind of made me uh stick with it because back then when i first started smoking weed i i, I wasn't on any uh anxiety medication or or antidepressant anything yeah. like that so it really was self-medicating that i was using weed for yeah and eventually um I'd say maybe about three or four years after that whole thing happened and I came out, you know, at 23, it wasn't until um, I'd say four or, yeah, four or five years later that the anxiety and the depression really started to become much more manifested in my life despite the fact that i was smoking so much the, the smoking wasn't doing it anymore so yeah. i would end up getting put on um uh anti-anxiety medication first and dude i had never ever uh, dealt with uh anti-anxiety meds and once i i got on those that was really the beginning of of the end for me in terms of uh, my drug use because, and here's the other thing to, to bring this up. I, I mentioned earlier that my grandfather was a hardcore alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I learned in therapy, in rehab specifically, but, but also it's genetic. Yeah. This is something that, it's not to say that if, it, that if it's- It's like diabetes from the fucking Latinos, family, you know? Right, right, right. Because diabetes is a good example because it's sometimes there's the gene, and then it's also the lifestyle, and the, then how pe how Latinos right. live, what you eat, what you do. You know what I mean? How you handle stress, and I, I think that right now what's coming up for me as I, I remember this um, this quote, and I feel like it's a perfect example. I don't know if you've heard it through your journey of like addiction and stuff, but I actually read it to you and, and tell me if it resonates. It's, it says. Um, we numb not because we are empty, but because we are too full. Full of shit we haven't dealt with, emotions we don't know how to face, and stress we haven't developed healthy skill set to release. Numbing is the nervous system's way of coping. Because I feel like some people will be well, like, oh, you know what? I was just, you know, I was just, fuck it. I, I, it didn't, but I feel like the way that you're, that everything I keep hearing from you is like, you were at least you were cognizant. There's some people that are just like, oh, fuck it. Like, you know, like, fuck them. I'm just going to go. So they feel empty, but it's more because they're, but you are, you're actually saying, I know that there was something there and you were trying to take, you were trying to take the right steps. Like you said, I like, because the fact that you don't just get anxiety medication, you have to go and seek the help, you know? So you were, sure. you, that's, I'm hearing at least that you were like, oh, like, let me try to do something. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, this isn't normal. Is it, you felt that it wasn't normal. Yeah. You're like, I shouldn't feel this way all the time. So that, you know what I mean? That's in, and some people are way beyond before that. You know what I mean? They don't, it's difficult for them to get to where you were then, you know? 
So that says yeah. something too, that at least I you were agree. cognizant of, of that, you know, like, oh shit, this isn't, I, I didn't, sure. you know, this needs to change. This, this, this can't be my everyday fucking life, you know? Well, I, 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 I did actually uh, seek therapy early on after that, that whole ordeal and uh, kind of uh, tying it back to what you mentioned at the beginning, how your, your therapist is Latino. And, and if I re remember, uh, he's the first Latino therapist yes. that you've yeah. encountered, right? So I And the first male therapist that I've uh, gone to as well. It was all right. It was all another, it was uh, all old white ladies, you know? Right. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly what I initially dealt with. And it was very <laughs> difficult to explain to an old white lady the the cultural aspect of growing up Mexican Catholic and why that was so uh, hurtful to my coming out story. Like, yeah, they would. They would, would tell me, like, gosh, how can your mother do that to you? And even though, like, I kind of wanted to agree with them, the, the other part of me that was more mature also realized that a lot of what I experienced with my mom, my mom didn't really know any better because she grew up in this machista society that says that homosexuality is wrong. Catholicism says that homosexuality is wrong. Yeah. So in the back of my head, I, I always wished that I could have uh, early on uh, come across a, a Latino or Latina therapist. Uh, I have a feeling that they would have helped me uh, wrap my head around these issues much quicker in a much better way than um, having to go through, gosh, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I've been to at least eight therapists yeah. uh, since I was 23 up until two years ago. Uh, and I, I always say that it's like dating. Yeah, like it is. It works. It's got to find somebody. And another thing that I was that I was mentioning because my friend was telling me that like she had gone to somebody and it felt very like, like it, I don't know if you know what CBT is. It's just yeah. like yeah, cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy. It's like it's very it's very like how do you feel right now? What's right. making you anxious? You know, and let's write that down and let's you know. So sometimes so that was my and she was like yeah and I was doing that and she was like it just felt like I was like ah like what the fuck like i want i want more it's like and i was like yeah but sometimes you need like if you're not there yet and i was like the reason is because like like i told you you're already seeking help and there's people that are like they're not even at the place of where they think they need help you know to where like maybe they're forced oh, to go to therapy sure. or somebody sending them and so yeah. then it's like they need that like that like that little bit of digging and they need that like that those training wheels right to where you're already like maybe you need somebody at that point with training wheels and then then you figure out, yeah, like I kind of outgrown this therapist and I feel like I've gotten to like a point where they can't help me and I need somebody who's going to, now I need somebody, this person's very understanding, but now I need somebody who's going to call me out and somebody's going to hold me accountable, right. you know? And so then you search for somebody yeah. else, someone different, you know? And, and unfortunately, I didn't find that type of ter therapist that would call me out on my shit yeah until i got to rehab the first time in 2017. so yeah. uh 2007 to 2017 for a decade dude i uh i struggled with all of this and i ended up getting hooked on uh anti-anxiety medication 
to the point where I was like fucking crushing those pills, baby, and snorting them like it was fucking cocaine and combining it. Happiness. With just weed. Because happiness is, you know, just snorting the happiness oh, to make dude, all the feelings. It was yeah. like I, I was in heaven, you know? Well, at least what I thought was heaven yeah because i i was really 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 able to quiet down uh uh it, it's cliche but it's true all those demons in my head that that just kept uh eating at me and uh the resentment that i felt towards my mom for not only kicking me out but rejecting me after i had been so involved in her marriage uh and and it was really I, I became a very angry person a very very angry person and i didn't even know that 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 that's what i was becoming until i ended up getting in a relationship and i ended up uh <laughs> the irony is i became well, my mom <laughs> yeah and then but the thing is and i always tell people like Sometimes it doesn't matter how much work you do if you're not putting it in practice, you know, whether it's with your friends, with your family, like addressing those addressing those feelings and addressing feelings doesn't mean that you need to like speak on them in the moment that they're coming up, but at least acknowledge them and sitting in them like, oh, shit, like, like you said, like you're in a relationship with this, you know, with, with this person and you're like, oh, shit, like, I'm this is coming up for me. And like, you know, instead of just being like, oh, well, no, you need to do this and you need to do that. Like, wait, no, like this, this is coming from somewhere else. This isn't from, you know what I mean? This is more like I would need to control this person or, hey, you don't talk about your feelings. Right. Why? Because you're used to your mom just dumping her feelings on you. You're like, hey, let me help you. Let me solve right. this shit for you. You know what I mean? So that, that and that doesn't for come sure. up until you're with somebody and you're, you know, you're like, oh, shit, this never came up when I was just by myself, you know? And and I was very fortunate that my partner, uh, who luckily I'm still with to this very day, he, he was very patient. He did call me out on my shit and he would tell me like, dude, I, I, I don't think this is you. I think that there's an underlying issue that you haven't dealt with that uh, you're basically taking out on me. And and it, it was in the more quiet moments when I was able to get more calm when I wasn't high that I was able to um, accept and acknowledge that something was wrong and that I was beginning to take it out not only on him but I was taking it out on co-workers I was taking it out on friends I taking it on on myself in, in an unhealthy way so all of that would uh, end up leading me to my first uh, uh, stay at a rehab. And at that time, um, I had, I, I was beginning to explore um, psychedelics, but I was still doing it recreationally. And yeah, I, didn't so I was actually, that was gonna be my question. How, I was like, were you exploring them like as a like oh this is a tool that i could use or was it like fucking oh fuck you know what i mean there's two because there's two different explorations you know for sure but but, but the, two different explorations but even though i i was like you know seeking out other drugs because i was becoming just more experimental uh it wasn't until i did mushrooms 
that I actually began to be more comfortable uh, being self-aware with those heavy, ugly emotions. Yeah. Uh, so that's when my a little uh, light bulb went off in my head, like, oh, okay, it, it's it's worth me going inside, even though I really don't want to go back to those feelings. It's worth me doing that because that's really the only way that I'm going to put a lot of these things to bed. And, and it's good um, that you had somebody also that had that kind of secure attachment, you know, that wasn't like, you know what, dude, fuck off. You're an asshole. They were like, I know you're a good person. And they were secure enough in their own skin to know that it wasn't about them when you were lashing out or whatever to know, hey, dude, like something's going on here. You got to try to figure it out. I'm willing to work with you to help, you know, and and that that's a good thing that, you know, you had somebody there to like, you know, put, give you some pushback, you know, because if they if, if he didn't have that that security, you know, within himself, he would have been like, well, what the fuck am I doing? Why is he acting like this towards me? You know, but he was in a good place to say, hey, I know that, you know, this is like something you're going through. And I know it isn't about me, but you're taking it out on me. So you need to fucking figure it out, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 100%. I, I am very, very lucky uh, that I finally got a break because I honestly, Ed, had to rely on myself for so long. Uh, I had to learn how to be independent very quickly, not only um, financially independent, but emotionally independent, where I couldn't rely on anybody. So when I finally did meet my partner, um, it was the first time that I felt like someone had my back in a really long time uh, and that I was able to eventually explore uh, these issues in a much more healthy way in order to allow our relationship to uh, progress in a better way. Because if I hadn't dealt with my shit, I promise you uh, that relationship would have ended. Yeah, yeah, and, and to some been. extent, you also felt no one wants to be a punching bag. Yeah, and you also felt the security, like that you the the you had a soft place to land, and you were able to take that risk to explore yourself. Because I think a lot of the times you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to put this on them or whatever. And he, I mean, I don't, I don't know him personally, but it seems like he was just kind of like, let's go, like you know what I mean, like I'm here, do what you got to right. do, and. You know, and, and he and it's, it seems like he set some boundaries even then, you know, it wasn't just like it wasn't it wasn't from a place like the, the like whatever you want, I'll do for you. It was more like, right. hey, no, I'm willing no, to that help. Was not. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it seems like it was from a good, secure place that was like, if you're willing to work, I'm willing to work. But if you're not, fuck off. Yeah, definitely. You know? uh, it, it was a, a very it was tough love for sure. Uh and I think that that's why it's also important to, to point out how important it is for us as individuals to be that, that solid support for our friends, for our family, for our significant others. To at least, at least leave the matter. door open, right? Like it doesn't, right. you don't have to be like all up in their face and asking them, but hey, the door's open, man. Yes, because it's not until it's not until someone who's experiencing, and I say this from experience, obviously, someone who's in the, in the thick of anxiety, depression, combined with addiction, they're not going to be able to uh, deal with those issues 
properly until they feel someone has is a solid uh, uh, foundation for them because it's very difficult to do on your own. Obviously, the only person that can do the work is you, but there does you do have to feel like you have some kind of solid support, a community, uh, uh, people who won't judge you, uh, compassion, tough love. Not, I'm not saying that people should uh, enable horrible, bad behavior, destructive behavior. Yeah. Like I said, my, my partner didn't want to be a punching bag, but there is a, 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 um, a value in giving those people tough love because when I got that, I, that's when I said, okay, I, I need to step up and I need to now deal with this for the first time since, you know, childhood, really, because I was not only carrying the resentment from uh, coming out and being kicked out of the house and all of that. I was carrying the resentment towards my dad because he wasn't present growing up because he cheated on my mom. Uh, I, I forgot to mention this, but when I was a senior in high school, I caught him cheating a second time. So you mentioned this too, but you didn't. All of yeah. So now you're older too. And you're I, I, was able, you know. I was carrying a lot of a lot of shit, and 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 so all of that was just building up on top of each other, on top yeah. of each other. And when I when I went to to rehab uh, the first time, I came across so. At that time, I had quit my job. Uh, I didn't have any health insurance. And um, my sister had moved down to Tijuana because she was dating a guy who lived here, but he got deported. Yeah. So she moved down to TJ to be with him. And so I called my sister up one day and I'm like, hey, I'm going through a really rough period. And uh, I think I might, I might have... Uh, an addiction issue, not just with weed, uh, but with more uh, uh, importantly with uh, anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. So I went, I went down to TJ, and uh, interestingly enough, it's it's so crazy the way that the fucking universe works. We found a rehab clinic literally ten minutes from where she lived. Yeah. And it was like a legit clinic. And uh, because I didn't have health insurance, that was the only real uh, uh, option that I had because health ins uh, rehab is so expensive here in yeah, the, the it's, US. Yeah, it's, it's more like, I saw something on it where they're like, oh, we have horses and we have this and that. Like, how many counselors do you have? What kind of resources? Right. It's more like a fucking resort than anything else. <laughs> yeah, and they charge, oh, it's, it's, right, it's only- We got fucking like facials. 13 and grand a week. It's like, shit. You know, and but your Dude, your family sometimes will shell it out because they're like, "Oh, this is gonna help them," you know, or whatever. Right, right, right. So uh, my sister called. She she did all the research, and it was going to be a total of I think it was five k for a thirty five day program. So that was the first time because I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything. And I didn't want to ask my partner for, for help. I didn't feel this was his responsibility. I asked my sister to help me and she was able to help me with a little bit, but she didn't have all of the amounts. So it was, we, I, I had to loop in my parents and yeah. 
I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to be honest with them. And, and also part of me at the same time, I kind of felt like this is what happens when you're not involved in my life. You know, like I didn't want to blame them for my addiction and my, and yeah. my issues, but I kind of wanted to loop them in, let them know like, hey, I, I kind of need your help here. So luckily, I think it's a little, a literal cry for help, right? It's a literal, yeah. 100%. That's exactly right. That I was, it was a cry for help. It seems like I've never asked you for shit. Like, can you do this one thing for me? Like, you know? Right, right, right. And so uh, it was in TJ when I first came across a Latina therapist who understood my background, understood what I was going through, but 100% called me on my shit. She really helped me realize that, yeah, my parents did some fucked up things, but I was also stewing in victimhood. I was super comfortable playing that victimhood card and not taking any responsibility for my own actions, my own uh, detrimental behavior. So she really helped me uh, uh, come to terms with that. And uh, I, I will never forget those 35 days in TJ. Um, uh, it was life-saving without exaggerating. Yeah. Um, and I, I would end up uh, staying clean for a couple of months. Uh, I would end up coming back to LA and back with my, with my partner. And uh, I ended up getting a, a job. I, I, I was very grateful that I was able to get myself a, a job at Paramount Studios. Uh, when I quit school, I ended up getting a job at a graphic design agency in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, where they do uh, entertainment advertising marketing. So I had a background in that for a really long time. Yeah. So I was able to land that job and I felt like, wow, everything's like lining up. Things are, 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 are back on track. Uh, I should be good. And I was good uh, until I kind of uh, let my ego get the best of me. And, and that could be a different conversation. The whole ego and how the ego gets the fucking best yeah. of you, dude. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a definitely the, your enemy for sure. Yeah, ego is definitely something you got to try to you got to try to control and and I think that right now we're talking about like social media so like that is ego comparison too. Like what is everybody else doing? You know, I'm better than them or I should be as good as them or whatever. You know, I'm guessing what right. you basically said, I'm good. I can handle this. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I was comparing myself uh with other people and i'm like well i got a good job i got my shit together i'm seeing a therapist because i was seeing a therapist when i came back to la so i felt like i was doing all the right things but uh the insidious nature of addiction popped its head back out and uh i started to smoke again i wasn't taking any more uh, um anti-anxiety medication i was able to completely stay clean off of that but I started smoking weed again. And, and, and this is the, also has been somewhat embarrassing to admit to people that I had an addiction issue with uh, uh, not just uh, anti-anxiety medication, but also weed because weed isn't something that people 
accept as being an addictive substance. But well, what people me, don't realize. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to build off of that. I was going to say, what people, don't realize, what, what people don't realize is that it's not really a, a physical um, addiction that I'm talking about. It's a mental addiction to weed. So weed in and of itself isn't addictive. But if you're mentally prone to addictive, uh, compulsive behavior, you can get addicted to uh, a thing like weed or, you know, shopping or sex or drinking or, or wine in and of itself isn't an addictive substance. Yeah, it doesn't have it's like, the, it's not like nicotine that has an addictive quality in it that it can actually create a dependency for it. Yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, I, I realized that I slipped back into old behavior and then to kind of bring it back to, to uh, recent times, the pandemic hits last year in March. And not just that, but my I had to put a dog, a really uh, uh, sweet dog that was very close to my heart um, that was given to me, as a matter of fact, right when I came out, mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine gifted me a chihuahua. So I had to put her down because she got cancer a month before uh, the pandemic hit last March. Yeah. And that was really, really hard for me because I, I felt a lot of old emotions. I was projecting a lot of old emotions on that dog. And I felt like it was the end of an era that she was yeah, with me. Yeah, you know, definitely my has a lot of feeling on, especially when it came into your life. And, and, and I'm sure throughout your entire, you know, the dog's entire life, it was a a support system in a way for you you know some someone that didn't judge you someone that didn't care about your, your i wouldn't say someone but something that you know was supporting you and no matter what and giving you unconditional love oh yeah. dude absolutely absolutely she i i really got attached to her because of everything that you just mentioned so when i had to put her down um I was lucky enough to have been able to do that at home. The the doctor came to the house and, you know, she, I was able to hold her yeah. till the very end. Uh, but then we get sent home from work. And luckily, thank God, I'm very, very blessed that I, I still have a job. I've been working from home. But that really started to also do a number on my head. I, I, I had more idle time than I yeah. had before so that little amount of weed that i was smoking only at night when i would come home from work and you know just to chill a little bit all of a sudden i was back to smoking morning noon night and i'm talking like seven eight nine bong hits and you're like day. i don't have to go anywhere you know right. you're like right exactly you know, so shit, I don't, not that, that I don't have to, I can't even go and I can't even go anywhere yeah. if I wanted to. Exactly. Exactly. You know? She's like, Fuck so it. I, I think I was uh, subconsciously beginning to deal with the, the uh, depression and anxiety from having put down my dog, but also having to deal with the pandemic and, and how new this whole thing was being stuck at home every day 
feeling like uh, work was slowing down so much that I wasn't even needing to check my emails anymore. Like yeah. nothing was happening. Cause like I said, I work at Paramount. So theaters were closed. There's nothing happening for us, literally. Yeah. So that really uh, got me in trouble again. So I would end up back in rehab uh, this past July. And what I haven't mentioned that I think is, is important for me to mention, not only uh, did I have a mental addiction to weed, but apparently I'm also allergic to weed because I would end up in the fucking hospital, dude. Oh, did you have that uh, that um, hyper hyperemesis or cannabinoid hyperemesis? The most fucked up See? thing a weed smoker could I be ever knowing get. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a curse, bro. It's so it's, sad. It's, I think that that's the only reason. So, for people who don't know, I mean, I don't know if you could explain, but I what it, from what I know about it, it's basically uh, dehydration, and if you it dehydrates you. Yes. And it, it can get to the point to where so, like it's really bad if you don't hydrate and you can yeah, so and you throw up and shit because so then so. Oh dude, it's horrible. But it's it never horrible. happened so before. Essentially what happened? Yes, it did. It started oh, okay. to happen to me uh but it, it I would say after about 5 or 6 years of me smoking consistently since 2007 that that's when it first showed up. So uh, it showed up for the first time, I want to say like in 2011. And I started smoking weed consistently back in 2007. So yeah. it wasn't until it was really truly chronic, <laughs> no no pun intended, yeah. um, that, that uh, so this is the issue. I was smoking so much that the THC was building up in my body. My body wasn't getting rid of that THC. And apparently some people, when there's too much THC in your system, your body goes into this sort of like uh, uh, allergy shock mode where you start to throw up, like without, yeah. you can't stop throwing up. Yep. It's like you're dry heaving, you get dehydrated, yeah. horrible yep. abdominal pain to the point where I would end up in the ER. And for the first couple of years, they were telling me that I was probably getting a panic attack because it's so brand new. This condition yeah. is so brand new that people are just barely beginning to understand uh, what it actually is. So uh, I noticed that when I went to rehab that first time and I stopped smoking for a couple of months, gone. I, I, I didn't have any issues. But yeah. when I started smoking again, a year later, I started to get those, uh, those pains and throwing up every now and then. So before July, before I went to rehab this, uh, in 2020, in June, I not exaggerating, I ended up in the ER six times in two weeks. Wow. And it was, wow. <laughs> hell. It was absolute hell. And so I, I told myself, I'm done. I, I I can't keep doing this. I, I have to finally put this to rest yeah. and uh, deal with it. So I ended up going to rehab and long story short, I was able to like finally put all 
all of those things that were uh, afflicting me for so many years, I was able to put all of that to rest. And I'm very happy to say that uh, January 17th was my six month mark of staying clean of everything. Good stuff. I haven't yeah. touched anything as far as weed or, or anti-anxiety meds, despite the fact that we've been in the middle of a fucking pandemic yeah. and that, you know, the end of the year was so crazy with the election. And, and I, I think that, right. I've it's also, <laughs> yeah, it's also like, um, it, people are more like, to some extent, um, accepting of it, you know, it's like, what is, is like on a, just getting drunk right. on a Wednesday or something like, well, yeah, I get it. Like, they're not going to be like, dude, like, and I, I feel like at the beginning, I was doing that. Like, I would drink or something. You know, I was chilling in my apartment, you know? But then I was kind of like, man, like, ah, hell no. Like, I can't do this. I started listening to some stuff about the pandemic and, and what was going on. And certain people that I was listening to were like, stay healthy. Like, take vitamin D. Fucking go on a run. Like, that's the best thing you could do. Yes, social distance. But there's only so much social distancing you could do. You know what I mean? Like if you're at home, right? Yeah, yeah, that's you're good. Like what, what's gonna happen? You're just at home, but like stay healthy. And so I was like, okay, I need to like, I need to work out. I need to like, you know, I need to stay active. You know, like to stay keep my body healthy because who's high risk? People who are you know overweight, people who have breathing right. problems and shit like that. You know what I mean? So I was like, that's the only thing that I could do besides you know, yeah, wear a mask and all that other stuff, but. But yeah, like getting your health. And that's one thing that they're not talking about. Get us a vaccine. Get us this. Well, go go do something to get healthy too. You know what I mean? Right. The same thing with like, you know, to some extent, a lot of the times we go to a doctor and we say, I'm really anxious. Well, here, take this. You know? It's so easy for them to, to, to uh, give, give that as a solution without giving you the option to explore everything else and let that be a last resort. Yeah, or or just like making it be a, a resource and an aid. Hey, let's, let's right now, I know that right now the anxiety is very, very overwhelming. Let's put you on this for a little bit, but we need to get you through this system. We need to get you in with a therapist. We need to find something that works for you. Um, but therapists or, you know, therapists will to some extent, but like, doctors and stuff and even sometimes your friends they won't sit here and listen to you for an hour and a half to be like okay cool like let me know what's going on whether it's bullshit this bullshit that but then you get some good nuggets out you know what i mean but at least you're like you're getting it out instead of like you said having that right. fucking cup just just you know overflow or just or just steam in your shit and then trying to like numb it you know for sure that's why I think it was so useful for me this last uh, stay uh, at rehab during the summer. I really learned how to embrace something like writing. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I did study screenwriting when I was in school. I was very close to graduating with a degree in screenwriting. So yeah, I went back to that. Anyway, right? It's fucking it's, it's Hollywood. Yeah. Dude. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what I kind of I, I tell myself that, so I don't feel too bad that I don't have a degree. I'm like, I got well, a, I got a degree. Don't really in, need a degree, dude. I have a degree in in in, in theaters. I was, you know what I mean, and it wasn't gonna make it. That I didn't. It didn't get me a movie to have a degree. You know what I mean? It's like it's you right. have to go put in the work. And there's guys that have engineering yeah. degrees that couldn't get but a he, job in engineering because you know they still have to learn the shit that goes into the sure. actual job. You know. 
Right. But to your to that point, like I think that the fact uh, I, I always say that screenwriters and uh, uh, actors are pseudo psychologists because you have to understand the human condition. Well, yeah, you learn to... you learn so much about humans and, and, and yes. emotions. And yeah, it, it is. It is. That's definitely a big thing. And that's one thing that I also considered when I was in, in that industry of like, man, there's shit that I have, there's emotions and things that I have to go through, even though there are emotions that I would never have to go through. And a perfect example was I actually played a character who was in the closet. And I personally am not gay, oh, wow. but I had to put myself right. through right. that to say, what would it be like? And it was a Latino character who was very angry. He was, wow. you know, he was doing the whole wow. bag bashing and beating people up and, you know, like, because he's trying right. to like get it out of his, like, uh, like fight it in, within himself. And that's who I was in the character, right. but that's not who I am, you know? Right. And a great story was that my dad showed up to see me in that show. And I was, it was, it was very like, it was very subtle that I was gay until like the end of it, you know? Um, but his, the, it's a funny story because it's like my dad saw me and, and I was, I was so nervous that day. I was like, fuck, like, I don't, you know, like, what's he going to say? You know what I mean? <laughs> the whole thing, you know, right. I'm saying, which I'm sure the same way, you know, but, but see, this is, I'm, I wasn't. So like, you're like, oh, what's he going to say? Cause I'm actually, but I still have to go through those emotions, you know? Right. So you, well, see, that's the power. That's the power of theater though. It, the, the ability to give you empathy for people that that maybe you would have never put yourself yeah. in those people's shoes. So what a beautiful uh, juxtaposition of my story with that experience, with you being nervous and, and with your yeah. dad and whatnot. So, so that's the, actually the, really, the funny, uh, really cool. So what the, happened? The funny part was, you know, I was nervous and I went out there, I did it. And, you know, it was like, it, there was, it was very tame. And then, so like, oh, whatever, the play ended and then, you know like my parents leave and then you know they meet the director or whatever and my and you know we talk and then they just left and then so my brother like asked my dad like what did you think you know it's like oh it's good this and that yeah. and then my brother's like did you notice he was gay and then my, my dad was like he was gay oh. so my dad didn't even notice <laughs> until my brother brought it up <laughs> And I was like, you should have just left oh. it at that. If he was, you know, he was like, what? Right, right. I was like, oh well, whatever. But like I, like I said, I'm not. But yet I had to go through that. Like, oh my God, my dad's gonna find out I'm gay or I'm playing right. gay. How's he gonna feel about that? Because of right. the whole, you know. And that's another thing that I went through as a kid. You know, when you're young, like I, because I don't know what it feels like to say like, oh, like, like, oh, what does it feel like to be gay? Like, does something like you just feel it? You know. But like, I was so, I wouldn't say anti-gay, but it was so like, my dad was so like that machismo, like, oh, I better, like you better not be that. I was like, fuck, I hope I'm not. Like, right. cause I was so fearful of that. You know what I mean? Right. And I think a lot growing up in that, like you said, like that machismo, you're like, well, you want to be a macho and you want to be, you know what I mean? And so you don't want to have feelings or all that shit. You know what I mean? But yet my dad was also the same, like coming to me for like, you know, advice or, or just like, you know, to talk about what he was going through or whatever, you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I, I think there's definitely. a lot of similarities in that, you know, with, between us and that. And you know, what's actually uh, funny, Ed, and, and I've only realized this uh, uh, recently. I, so when I came out 
and I had my my group of gay friends that I would hang out with. I personally was never quite um and, and now mind you, I was very openly gay with everybody. It's not like I was uh not comfortable telling people that I was gay. I, I was very comfortable in my own skin, but I never was very comfortable with the whole West Hollywood world, how it's um uh like you need to be a certain it, type of just, gay yes exactly exactly yeah. and i never quite fit that so the funny thing for me was that even when i came out i wasn't gay enough for my gay friends <laughs> and i wasn't straight enough for it's, my straight friends. it sounds like the not mexican and, enough for the mexicans and not american enough for the americans right yes. it's exhausting right right <laughs> it, it was exhausting dude but you know what i realized i realized that uh, one, you can't let anybody define who you are. You really have to figure that out for yourself and yeah. be very confident uh, in your self-awareness and your self-identity once you figure that out. And the other thing that I, I find really fascinating is that it seems like the gay community has a monopoly on the definition of what it means to be feminine and the heterosexual community has a monopoly on the definition of what it means to be masculine. And it's so funny when you're not feminine enough to be gay for gay people and masculine enough. So what does that mean? Does If, if I'm not feminine enough, does yeah. that mean I'm masculine and it, for gay people? And if I'm not masculine enough, you're does in, that mean I'm feminine for straight people? You're it's in like, this limbo, it, yeah. It, but luckily, I've been able to appreciate because I've been living in, in, in both of those worlds, I've been able to appreciate the fact that uh, it's like I mentioned this recently uh, on a thread on Facebook. I don't know if you, you read it or not, uh, but I mentioned that everybody, it's like the concept of yin and yang. Yeah. Everybody has a little yeah. bit of both. And it's not until we as men learn to recognize that we also have feminine qualities outside of the concept of gender. I'm talking about more like character traits, to be nurturing, to, to uh, be helpful in terms of living in, in a community, being able to work communally. Uh, that Those are feminine qualities, to be masculine, to be a protector, yeah. to be a provider, to be um, uh, show integrity in terms of uh, honesty and and those sort of things. And those are those things have qualities. to show up for what's lacking, right? Like I think when you when you're a kid, you you right. you, you fill in those gaps to whether you're whether you're a girl who whose dad wasn't showing up, you know, and and you had to kind of fill in for that and be there for your mom, you know, but yet. You right. still, you still had to be like you had to be there for your mom as emotionally, but yet you also still saw like maybe because it could go both ways. You could also see like, well, my dad was very closed off on his feelings, so that to me is what a strong person looks like. Correct. You know what I mean? Right. And it's a misconception right. so that's of why like. We have such a distorted... Yeah, we have such a distorted uh, idea of what it means, especially in the Latino community. We have a very distorted idea of what it means to be a man. So uh, I have 
also uh, found it really fascinating in my own life story to re-examine what it means to be masculine and what it means to be feminine and try to have a, a balance of both qualities. Um, and I think that that's the truest expression of who I am. And, and I, I think that it's important to try to teach uh, not only uh, a heterosexual men how to be uh, more feminine in terms of allowing yourself to be, be more vulnerable and things yeah, like that. Nurturing I, I, to people and yeah. Correct. I also think it's important to teach the gay community uh, the importance of not being like, oh, all men are horrible. Masculinity in and of itself is men horrible. Men are trash. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. I think that both both communities have a, a responsibility to be more open-minded as far as how we define, uh, uh, you know, masculine and feminine things. So uh, it's just it's been really interesting to reconcile all of these things in my mind. You know yeah. what I mean? The the my own issues with mental health addiction my self-identity uh it, it's it's been a fascinating ride for sure hasn't been boring <laughs> yeah no and i mean i i really i really do appreciate like you coming on man and then just kind of you know telling your story i i we've been going for quite some time now like kind of talking so I, you know i think we've, we've got a good chunk of a, a good chunk of content it's, it's good it's good i really you know i really appreciate yeah. You know, I think there, there's a, there's a lot there that we that we uncovered, and I think a lot of people can relate to a lot of what you're saying. And again, like I said, it it seems like you know you were all you like you were always kind of searching for for answers. You know, like you weren't like which is a good thing. Like you were cognizant of like, okay, I need to kind of push this. And and like you said, like who knows if you wouldn't have done that stuff. You probably you probably wouldn't be having any of this until you were fucking fifty and or you know sixty, like finally exploring that and what the hell is really going on. Like you you jumped in there and were like fuck it, like I gotta fall down to to, to know. You know what I mean? And you know you, you just keep right. yeah. There's no shame. You keep getting no up. Shame but, the, no shame in the game. Dude. Exactly. And what one thing that I would kind of you know one thing that I recently saw is like sometimes, like you said, like the victimhood, right? And I saw something about like a, a Zen master that said like a guy said, hey, can you teach me to be Zen? You know? And he's like, yeah, come and, you know, I'll teach you to be Zen. We'll, 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 we'll talk over some tea. And he brings in his tea and like he gives, you know, he has his cup out. The Zen master starts pouring tea into his cup and he just fucking doesn't stop pouring. And it just overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. And he's like, yo, like, like, like stop. And he's like, you're not going to be able to be, um, I think I might be butchering it, but basically he said like, until you empty your cup, you're not going to be able to, 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 to be Zen and to be in a good place because you're still right. holding on to what's in your cup. You got to empty what's in there and fill it up with new shit because you yes. just keep, you just keep like stirring it. Like if you have, you know what I mean? If you have, if you're eating Cheerios with fucking, you know, alcohol or a beer in them, 
And I bring that up because one of my friends did it and it was just fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, but, that yeah. But like, and you keep like, you know, and then you're like, oh, you ate all the Cheerios. You're like, well, let me put some beans in there. Right. There's still beer in there. And now let me put right. some, like it, that same broth or whatever, that same shit that you're stewing in is still in there to some degree. You keep maybe putting other shit in there and the fractions change and, you know, they evolve. But until you empty that shit out and you're like, I'm going to fill this cup up now with good shit. You know what I mean? I need to flush the engine, yeah. you know, for like, you know, from a car perspective, yes. like I, cause I always go to cars cause it's like, it's the maintenance that you do on your body. And if you, and if you do maintenance on your car, it's going to fucking run. Maybe something's going to pop here, pop there. But when it does, you're ready. It's not like, Oh, this went off. And now all these 10 other things went off too. It's like, Oh no, I just, my starter went right. out. I just need to change that. Everything else is solid. And so when you right. have those coping mechanisms and those resources like you have, and now you do, now you've established a community, you've established all these tools, you've fucking been willing to dig into yourself and to put yourself in that place of like, you know, whether it, that vulnerable place to be like, and right now, I mean, the fact that you're willing to jump on with me, we've never had a full on conversation, but you're willing to be vulnerable, put yourself out there and say, hey, this is my fucking journey. And I've fallen plenty of times, but you know, I've gotten up just as many. You know, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, and and I have to give credit to my the therapist that I've been seeing uh, these past six months. She really taught me uh, how to be okay with being vulnerable, and because I in the past I had to be independent and uh, fend for myself for so long, yeah. I had to always put an armor and and uh, a face of of strength and like nothing's phasing me when it, on the inside I was falling apart so this has been an you're right we, we never really had an official conversation before this yeah but I felt like it was a good exercise for me to push myself to be okay being vulnerable yeah uh, with someone that I don't necessarily know uh uh and, all that and this well. isn't just between uh, us <laughs> you know no people are gonna hear this <laughs> definitely and, not this yeah yeah, and it's good. It's good. You're like willing I said, to put it's an exercise and being comfortable with that. Yeah, no, and and I mean, like I said, I don't. Regardless of like, you're not alone. You know what I mean? Like, like during this pandemic, like, like I know at times, like when I was in quarantine, literally because I had COVID. You know, I was in a place where there was a bunch of people with COVID. You know, so it's like I'm technically not alone. I'm not going through this alone. There's plenty of people, and then like even people that are at their house, they're not at the club everybody is locked down like it's not like you know i'm going through this alone it's like it's well fuck we got to deal with it you know and and so it's how you cope you know like you said i how you cope whether it's like that slippery slope do you allow yourself to kind of or do you say no i got i got i gotta stay on track i gotta you know what i mean yes i know that you know maybe right now i i could slack a little bit i'm like no i'm gonna stay on track you know and keep yourself accountable you know yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. So I usually I ask people, I feel like we covered so much. Usually I ask people like if there was a time where you felt like a weirdo, but I feel like that was the whole thing. Like you, you felt like, cause I, I say weirdo because a lot of the times people be like, oh, you're so weird. You know what I mean? But it's just you being yourself and you're, you're, you're being authentic. You know what I mean? And that's why like everyone's a weirdo yeah, to somebody okay. or at some point to some, to, and, oh, you, oh, you're being a weirdo. He was like, what, is, what does that mean? Right. What does it mean that I'm being a weirdo? Because I'm talking to, like you said, because I'm being vulnerable. Or because, you know what I mean, like, I'm figuring shit out, you know, like, or when you said, hey, just laugh about the fucking 17 años, we're just like, no, that's kind of serious, it's kind of fucked up, you know, <laughs> we're just like, oh, don't be weird, right. man, it's like, 
Well, no, yeah, there is a seriousness to it, you know. I think another way to to say weird is you're being authentic. You're being genuine. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that's essentially what it is. You know, when someone's being weird, they're really just being yeah. Like, Totally like, honest. <laughs> hey, be, be fucking grateful. Like, I don't know what I'm saying, be grateful. But like, if somebody's willing to be weird in front of you, and that means they're willing to like, just be themselves and then they feel right. comfortable with you. You know right. what I mean? That's a good thing, you know? And then what do you go and say? Ah, you stop fucking being weird, man. Like, you know, and then it's like, burr, you, 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 you tear them down. It's so you know sad, I mean? dude. It's like people don't want to be, uh, there, there's a level of vulnerability that you have to be comfortable with to be weird in front of yeah. somebody. Yeah, like fucking so sing in the, sing in the car, you know, <laughs> dance, like, you know, whatever. Oh, that's, oh, right. that's, I like that song. Yeah, you know, like, oh, look at this right. guy, you know, whatever. So <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. And I actually did think of like the whole oh, authentic, authentic, authenticity, the authentic pot. And I was like, nah, I think it's, yeah. it, it's too, it's too, it feels too heavy for some people. But when you for just sure. say, hey, when did you feel weird? Like, you know what? I, I felt kind of weird. Like, they made me, and that's that initial. And then you could dig in and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I was just kind of being myself. And they made me feel like a dick, you know? I think it's great. I, I think you do bring a level of um, uh, groundedness to the, the topic. Yeah. Uh, it's not this like lofty, super academic way of approaching mental yeah. health. I think it's, I love the casual vibe of what you're doing. Uh, and I think calling it uh, weirdos only is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, again, man, thank, thank you for kind of, you know, joining me on and, you know, may, may, hopefully we can get another one down the line too, you know, get you back on as this thing continues to progress yeah. and, you know. More than happy to. Yeah. And anything you want to plug anything, you, if you want people to, if there's anything, you know, I don't know if you have like an Instagram that you want people to follow or, you know, uh, you know, I'm not quite there yet. I am working okay. on writing a memoir okay. about everything that we kind of just talked about. Uh, blogging so will probably I'll be good be able, for you. Maybe once I have to, what was that? You should try blogging, even if it's anonymous, just putting out, yeah. you know, on medium. Just yeah, no, I think, uh, that's the next step. So once I'm ready to like actually come out with, with, a uh, a memoir, I think I'll I'll reach out to you again so we can do another one of these. Yeah. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Awesome.